Welcome to the Psych Experience. Welcome, welcome to the Psychcast, the podcast for those who love psychiatry and psychology. So in the last podcast, you mentioned uh, treatment choices and how they are made. And, you know, we all know that there is something wrong with the way that, uh, you know, those choices are being made nowadays. So what is the real problem with it? So we spoke about, and I think we could develop a little bit with, with ADHD today. Um, mm. So if, if we were to agree, the best choice doesn't come first because the best choice in terms of results in psychiatry, right? So the, the medication with the best results, don't come, they don't come first because we have to have the medication with the best side effect profile first, right? If we make an analogy with oncology, you're going to an oncologist because you have cancer. Now, he's trying to save your life. Does it matter if you lose your hair? I'm already bald. Okay, so, <laughs> so it's easy for you to say because I love my hair, man. Okay, but listen, it's your life. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally get you, that. You, yes. you can comb your hair if you're not if you're not around. <laughs> if you're so, dead, right? <laughs> so in that sense, really, the cost, you know, the price to be paid for the cure is to lose your hair, lose some weight, have you know some side, and that's all justifiable with that goal, mm-hmm. right? Now, would you agree to lose all your hair to treat athletes' food? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. You see my point? So yeah. you have a cold. I'm going to give you a medication that's going to fix your cold within 24 hours instead of lasting 7 to 10 days. But you're going to lose all your hair. Mm-hmm. So, nah, I'm going to go with the cold. Right? Now, we also saw that for some disorders, we still go with choices that don't quite meet that rationale. And, and ADHD is one of them. So first of all, diagnosing ADHD is very difficult. In the 50s, Skinner wrote a book called Human and Science Behavior. And during that book, he developed the concept of function hmm. of behavior. So he said, if, if you uh, throw a rock or if you throw a, throw a piece of wood at an enemy, functionally is the same thing. It's reinforced by the same consequences, getting rid of your enemy or hurting him, right? Mm-hmm. So um, functionally... Looking at your uh, fiancé and saying, you're too provocative. Your, your dress is too short. Mm-hmm. It makes her change. It's functionally the same as instead of saying that, saying, I wonder if it's too cold. Maybe you should wear jeans. Because your goal is the same. And the, the consequence is the same. So from a functional perspective, those two things that are topographically completely different are the same thing. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Yeah. All right. So... We also have things that are intrinsically reinforced. A behavior, for example, how OCD happens, right? So we we believe one of the things that behavioral analysis brought up is that why do you keep checking your doors? Why do you have an obsessive thought? We don't quite know, but why one thing feeds the next? Then you go check your door. The relief experienced by checking the door reinforces the obsession. Mm Mm-hmm. Is the door open or closed, right? And, and so relief is the physiological correlate of avoidance. And if you have agoraphobia, you don't go out of the house, you don't expose yourself, or you think you go to the door, you open the door, you come back inside, you don't go out, your friends call you and you don't go, you experience some anxiety, you don't go out, then you experience relief. Not seeing the outside reinforces the behavior of staying inside. And the relief is the physiological correlate of that. So we could say the relief reinforces it. Mm-hmm. So there's many ways to avoid going out, right? And it, functionally, they're all the same. 
So since though no, nobody bad an eye, so it was a concept that was in agreement with what everybody was thinking in the 50s, right? Mm -hmm. So nowadays we have DSM. In the diagnosis of ADHD, it's basically basically comprises of inattention and restlessness or hyperactivity. Right, and in and, and, and another class I had one day, I, I made a case to show the, how hyperactivity, as it is described, and restlessness is the same thing. Mm -hmm. Now, generalized anxiety disorder has within its criteria restlessness and um, inattention. Right, so in other, while ADHD, in, if if the listener goes to the diagnostic criteria, he's going to say that. ADHD has about 10, I don't remember how many, 10 correlates of inattention, mm -hmm. you know, 10 behaviors that match inattention yeah. that are not that different from what someone very anxious, someone that is very anxious will go through because of impaired attention. Attention specifically is impaired in freaking every psychiatric disorder. Mm -hmm. And about 10 correlates of restlessness, which is also one of the criteria of generalized anxiety disorder. So in that sense... Functionally, ADHD is contained inside GAD. And telling the difference between them, it's very difficult. So we have this disorder that resembles another one tremendously. Okay? They also happen with a lot of comorbidities. Frequent that ADHD kids will have a lot of anxiety mm -hmm. because they don't perform well in the world because they have a lot of things overwhelming them. You know? one, thing, one thing you can do to improve your anxiety is focus on one thing at a time. And if you're incapable of do that, incapable of doing that, you're going to feel overwhelmed. Make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. All right. So, so we have that problem, right? So we take a disorder that is difficult to diagnose, that has a lot of confounders, that could very well be the result of something else, right? Because we don't have, as I say, we don't have labs. We don't have anything to confirm that diagnosis. It's really based on listening to the dad, listening to the kid, or even worse, when you're talking to an adult that struggled with, potentially struggled with it all his life. And mm -hmm. it, but frequently, you know, in adulthood, anxiety is much more prevalent. And now we're going to give him as a treatment, as a freaking first line of treatment, mm -hmm. an addictive medication. Wait, but given the uncertainty of the diagnosis, should we really be starting with uh, stimulants? Perfect. That's my point. I mean, that's what most guidelines would suggest. It's a fair choice. Uh -huh. and, and, and that's what I struggle with from a, from a, from a philosophical perspective. And, and, and I could say, well, this is, this is my argument. But at the end of the day, you know, there's people that agree with me. I'm, I'm not alone here, right? But um, so if the first line of treatment... Oh, here's one example. The first line of treatment for ADHD is, is stimulants, unless you have tick disorders or a cardiac condition. Mm -hmm. Then should be the non-stimulant options to treat ADHD. They, they should be treated, tried first. Then there's a discussion. If you have an addiction already, should you be in the group that receives stimulants as the first choice? Mm -hmm. Or you should be in the group that will receive another medication? So, And the, the world of psychiatry is quite divided, which surprises me. Yeah. I don't, I don't think why, I don't know why there's a division there. I mean, you already have an addiction. I, I kind of know why. I think, so there was this big uh, uh, perspective research done with kids. And, and that's um, something that we talk about in the mentorship is the, the, the oral tradition in psychiatry. So there's so many publications, just can't keep up with everything. So you hear things and you keep repeating them, right? So there was this perspective study with kids that showed that... Um, 
a kid's taking stimulants, they, it doesn't increase their chances of developing addiction mm-hmm. in adulthood. And of course, a percent, if anything, the opposite. Not treating ADHD in childhood increases your chances of having addiction in adulthood, which is a fair game, a fair, a fair statement. Um, and and we, now we know that the main determinant of that is not the ADHD itself, but a, a comorbidity that frequently happens with ADHD that is the conduct disorder. So um, because they followed these kids for a while and they saw there was no clear determinant between a clear correlation between stimulant use for the ADHD and development of addictions, they said there's no evidence that chronic use of stimulants leads to addiction. Fair statement mm-hmm. made for kids without any addictions. Now you transpose that information to adult psychotherapy, uh, adult psychiatry. You have a guy who already has an addiction and he has ADHD or rightly or wrongly diagnosed and he goes to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist will prescribe him Adderall or methylphenidate and you can tell by the content of our podcast by now we're not going to ever have pharmaceutical sponsorship yeah but <laughs> probably um, not <laughs> but but he prescribes that and he tells to himself there's no evidence that chronic use of stimulants leads to addiction hmm. And that statement came from two studies done with kids that didn't have an addiction in the first place. Well, that's not right at all. Right? But granted, and we can talk about our tradition another day, but and, and, and why it happens and everything that we have in our hands with, with, with the amount of publications. But that's not the point of this conversation. The point of this conversation is to say, really, buddy? So picture this. Um, how can we... So, okay, okay, so a guy comes to an office and he says, doctor, I can't sleep at night. I'm always pissed. I'm very anxious. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I snort cocaine about three times per day. Okay, well, let's take a look, man. I think, you know, I know what you have. I think you have a cocaine addiction. And if you stop doing cocaine, chances are you're going to sleep better and not be so pissed off. And, uh, Isn't you know. that obvious? Uh, yeah, <laughs> right? Something like that. Now, someone comes to the Clinic and says the same damn thing. I can't sleep at night. I'm always pissed. And uh, I'm not feeling that hot. I'm super anxious. Mm-hmm. And my PCP prescribes me Adderall. And I take Adderall twice a day. And then you say, well, I wonder if it has anything to do with that. Oh, no. That's a medication. Medications help you. They're not bad for you. But if you look to the... So what is cocaine? Cocaine is a dopamine and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. All right. uh, Sounds very you familiar. Just lost me. <laughs> no, that's okay. But listen, it, it, what it does is it tells. So when, when a cell releases neurotransmitters to the next cell, yeah, because producing that neurotransmitter is a lot of work for the brain. You want to recycle it, so it it's reuptake, reuptaken. All those molecules go back to the first cell that released in the first place, mm-hmm. and then it's released again. It's a brilliant, brilliant mechanism. Yeah. What dopamine, do, what cocaine does is it prevents that of being recycled. Those guys f- keep fluctuating in the synapses, binding to receptors, mm-hmm. and they, how they exert their function, okay? Uh, whatever cocaine does for you, right? Not, not assuming that you do cocaine, but whatever it does for someone. Okay. All now, right. <laughs> everyone. Um, so what does Adderall do? It's the exactly very same mechanism. So it's cocaine in pills. It's a pharmaceutical cocaine in that sense. And, and here's the most important thing. They both act acutely. 
Because mm. we do have medications, antidepressants, that also have a potential for abuse. And I'm talking about bupropion. But because it's not like you take and immediately you feel a kick, because that you need that for addiction. You cannot be addicted to something that you take today and make you feel different in two weeks mm-hmm. or one week yeah. or in three days. You can't get addicted to that kind of junk. Part of the addiction is behavior uh, reinforcer. Mm-hmm. Behavior reinforcer. So you drink, immediately you feel better, you feel light, you feel happy, right? Um, what's, oh, what's the problem if you feel happy and if you're light? Well, the problem is that if you drink every day, soon the benefit is gone. Yeah. Right? Now, I would work every day under the effect of tequila if I could. If, if, if the benefit I have every fi- Friday night would maintain itself. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't. We know it wouldn't. There's, I don't need to make an argument about that. Sorry, I touched the thing here. I think I hit the microphone. So, um, so, so okay, so, so they are both acutely effective. You pop them and they quickly, boom, do something for your brain. Mm-hmm. And that is what we're giving to kids as the first line of treatment. That is what some doctors argue is the first line of treatment for people with addictions and ADHD in their adulthood. They have some arguments in favor of the treatment. I'm not saying we shouldn't treat. We have strong arguments saying if you have an addiction and you have ADHD, there's articles saying that criminality is reduced. But it doesn't reduce, by all means at this point, with the available data, it doesn't reduce relapses. Mm -hmm. And the improvement, because it doesn't reduce relapses, the improvement in the symptoms of ADHD are not that hot. Mm -hmm. Because you're relapsing on stuff. Mm -hmm. Right? But criminality reduces. It does. Why do we have so much alcohol problems in the society? Much more than anything else. Because everybody gets exposed to alcohol. To have an addiction, you need... Two things. You need enough exposure to develop uh, physiological dependence. And you need a specific wiring in your brain for that specific substance. Mm -hmm. You cannot be addicted to everything. If you you work with substance users, you're going to find out that they all have their drugs of choice. They're the top one. Yeah. Right? And a lot of them do a lot of mixing. But in general, there's a top choice. And, Mm -hmm. And that is... And you can see that as a family genetic trait. Like my parents died of heroin overdose and I'm addicted to heroin. Like mm-hmm. that, that kind of, my dad had alcohol use disorder, so do I, right? So there's a specific brain wiring for the specific addiction. We expose the whole society to alcohol, mm-hmm. right? Americans usually wait to drink until they are adults. We're Latinos. We know things are different down there. Yeah. And, and, and um, so because everybody gets exposed, it's like, the drug is passing a scythe through society and whoever has the right wiring ends up addicted, mm-hmm. right? Now, shouldn't we be thinking of death? And I don't want to sound too hateful, but shouldn't we be thinking of death when we're prescribing medications with potential for abuse? Well, I think so, yes. It, it, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. It kind of makes sense. Now, granted that the results of stimulants for ADHD are very good. Mm-hmm. They're very good. But we saw that the choices of treatment are hardly made on just very good. They're also made on the balance of, is it work, worth the risk? Is it worth the risk of exposing this army of kids and adults to stimulants as the first choice before trying cleaner stuff? Mm-hmm. Is it worth it? You know, the guy comes to you for help. There's a chance this guy's going to get addicted to this thing. And I'm going to tell you, I see that every day. People come to my office and they say... They are not committed to results. They are by now committed to medication. 
there's something wrong with that math. Yeah. We're committed. We providers are committed to results. The guy comes and says, no, no, no. If you're not going to prescribe me Adderall, I'm going elsewhere. Buddy, I have other choices. You're not even willing to try? It sounds weird. Yeah. You go to your PCP with a problem. You don't go saying, hey, I want this medication. You go there and you say what? I want a solution for my problem. Yeah. When you have a commitment to a drug, that's highly suspicious. Mm-hmm. You know, highly suspicious. And, and so, so, you know, that's the damage that we may be causing to society as mental health providers. Mm-hmm. We may be just passing the scythe with stimulants to see who's going to get hooked to it. I have a lot of people that say I didn't like it, made me feel funny, ran me up, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but we have other choices. And based on that logic that we explored in the previous, our previous episode, I asked myself, shouldn't we go in with the cleaner stuff first? Just for the sake of safety. Okay. Makes sense? Yeah, totally. And I'm really talking about adults. I'm not talking about kids. So uh, my, my question to you is, given that this is a very situational process, is there a way that we can use guidelines to, you know, prevent... Uh, the professionals for making a mistake? Well, so first would be lovely if we could all agree is a mistake, uh, which we don't. Um, you're going to find people working with substance users claiming stimulants come first, mm-hmm. right? Which is wow, right? For, for a lot of psychiatrists out there, for a lot of people thinking in this field is like a wow. And other people say, no, no, no. That is clear, but I don't know. Um so guidelines at this point are putting, for example, they're putting atomoxetine, which is a non-stimulant. If you snort atomoxetine, it may give you a kick. Because if you snort Wellbutrin, Wellbutrin is like the B plan for someone who can make through cocaine. So if you have a patient addicted to cocaine or methamphetamines, he's depressed, not surprisingly, because he's depleting his dopamine. You should not prescribe Wellbutrin to that guy. Mm-hmm. Right, because you know, in the absence of things, it's just gonna snort the, the, the and the snorting. It has a more of an acute effect, which is what we need for an addiction, an acute effect, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to a build up over days and weeks. Um, so guidelines right now, they're saying atomoxetine first or stimulants. They're putting them all together at least mm-hmm. as first choice. Granted, stimulants are dirty cheap. Now the other day. Because, uh, you know, when you work in, uh, in the psychiatric field, and our listeners will see that if they're in training right now, uh, they're going to inherit a lot of cases that already are taking massive doses of stimulants. And in, in mentorship, we cover, you know, ways and strategies to kind of mitigate that kind of damage. But um, they're going to see that. And um, now renewing those medications is going to find out something very interesting. Like three weeks ago, there was uh, Adderall extended release was on back order mm-hmm. across the United States. What, buddy? It's a lot of pill. Yeah, that you have to you have to prescribe a lot of that damn damn thing to to get on back order. So damn. you know maybe we could get a sponsorship from pharmaceutical industry for atomoxetine, <laughs> right? But the problem is the same company also makes Adderall. So um, uh, uh, in general, right? It's unlikely. But um, so yeah, so. Guidelines are already pointing out to the non-stimulant option as a first choice, mm-hmm. which is a progress, which is progress. Um, but because um, 
stimulants don't have the same, it's not like crack, but in general, you know, stimulants don't have an addiction that is um, as devastating as, for example, alcohol or benzodiazepines or things like that. So it may take a while until, uh, you know, uh, let's say some of the editors of Maudsley prescribing guidelines will say, mm, I have a thought about it and stuff like that. But in general, using the, the prescribing, philosophical prescribing principles mm -hmm. that we use in psychiatry, I, I would say, you know, non-stimulants should come first, but it's psychiatry and, you know, it's, it's a lot of uh, different opinions out there. All right. And as always, I believe you do have a board question for us, right? Today I do. It's a, it's a negative question, though. I don't think boards are using negative questions anymore. It's like, which one of the following is not? Right. But let's go. Uh, so which one is the, of the following uh, is not a symptom of ADHD? Um, and we're talking about kids, which, of course, is not my specialty, but hey. Um, so the patient uh, struggles to follow instructions. Uh, the patient uh, uh, has uh, difficulty awaiting his turns and frequently interrupts people when talking to him. The patient uh, has a difficulty sitting still in his chair and keeps moving and fidgeting all the time. The patient only has the above impairments at school, but no uh, manifestation of the above impairments at home. So that will be it. Mm -hmm. You know, to have a diagnosis of ADHD, you cannot just be struggling at work. One thing we see frequently in adults, which will be actually an indication that you're dealing with anxiety. Uh, adults just have a, a life that is fairly normal until they get a job and the job is particularly overwhelming. When they start facing a particularly overwhelming job, they start struggling with performance, with focus, with delivering completing tasks, with, um, with as much as sitting still. Well, all those symptoms are quite per 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 uh, compatible with the diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. But because they cannot pay attention, and we only have one diagnosis that has attention in the, in the name, attention deficit mm -hmm. and hyperactivity disorder, they come to their doctors and say, I think I have ADHD, I can focus. And the doctor, unfortunately, not realizing that attention is also a symptom of generalized anxiety disorder, depression, acute psychosis, mania, anything messes up with your attention. Listening to me talk for five minutes messes up with your attention. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, yeah, ideally, generalized anxiety disorder will be called generalized anxiety and inattention disorder. So maybe it would help people to think about these things, right? As, as we're going to talk one day about bipolarity, how the name bipolar probably led to everybody thinking they have bipolar as opposed to manic depressive disorder. So uh, yeah, you expect the inattention, restlessness, impulsivity to be present in all, or at least more than one, or actually across the board, but more than one uh, of uh, the context in which uh, the, the child or the adult is exposed. Perfect. That would be a wrap for today's episode. I'd like to invite all of our listeners to go to nepmi.org and check out all of the content that we have available. Dr. Nadi, as always, a pleasure to have you here. And if any of, of the listeners has a question for you, how should they be contacting us? They should go through our uh, the website of the Mentoring Institute, as you mentioned, the, the www.newenglandpmi uh, or nepmi. Uh, org, and we have an email there. They can send an email to say, hey, doc, you said this, but this author said that. You can question this stuff. For me, it will be a pleasure. I think 
um, what we do for a living is so difficult that, uh, you know, it's, it would be stupid not to be open to these ideas in dialogue because when you have to match data and philosophy and uh, humanities, right? Like what is depression and what is just life, mm -hmm. right? That's one of the questions we, we approached before, we, we, we brought up before. Um, I'll, I'll have to be crazy not to welcome that. So I, I really look forward to getting emails and questions and topics that I could dev develop here and, um, you know, clinical challenges and things like that. Um, so just send us an email and um, you're going to be hearing about it soon. All right, Dr. Nardi, thank you so much and see you next week. See ya. This podcast was offered by NEPMI.org.